This is a Federal News Network podcast. FEMA is dealing with about 960 declared disasters around the country right now, and there's at least one in every state. What's more, they're not all pandemic related. There's the influx of migrants at the southern border, lingering winter storm damage, and prepping for wildfire and hurricane seasons. But it was COVID-19, after all, that shed light on the weaknesses in FEMA's command and supply chains. We get more now from Federal News Network's Amelia Brust. The Senate Appropriations Subcommittee on Homeland Security recently summoned Robert Fenton Jr., the person performing the role of FEMA administrator, to ask how the agency could avoid another COVID-level confusion during future natural disasters. FEMA had a lead role in the federal response at the start of the pandemic, but there was still widespread confusion at all levels of government about who was really in charge, FEMA, Health and Human Services, or the White House Task Force. Committee Chairman Chris Murphy of Connecticut talked about overlapping authorities and asked Fenton what role he thought FEMA should have. Um, We can't sort of wait uh, to do a year-long retrospective and inquiry before uh, trying to make amends for that confusion. So I'd love your perspective, um, having sat in Region 9, um, to tell us what you think FEMA's role should be, um, let's say vis-a-vis HHS, during a nationwide public health incident like a pandemic. Uh, How can we learn from our mistakes over the last year to make sure there are clear lines of authority Uh, for state and local public health uh, officials, governors, members of Congress. Fenton said FEMA's strength lies in its role as a coordinator between government, private, and nonprofit sectors. But the pandemic was unique in that it began as a medical-only event, which is normally led by HHS. It was difficult to do uh, last year at the beginning of the event because of the different authorities, uh, the uniqueness of the medical event and starting off with the event being managed by HHS and then eventually transitioning in March to FEMA taking the lead of it. It took us a little bit of period of time to get the coordination mechanisms that traditionally haven't been involved in a medical-only event to come together and unify those efforts at all levels of government across a private sector, a private nonprofit. FEMA issued an initial assessment report in January that stated COVID-19 went beyond what existing policies and procedures had planned for in terms of emergency response. And the fact that FEMA was not expected to be a lead agency in such an event exposed critical misunderstandings about the nation's medical supply chain. It's so complicated, Murphy said, that even a year later, he struggles to understand it. I spent about a month uh, last summer trying to understand the emergency medical supply chain uh, and trying to understand who from the federal government was doing what. I I spent about a month talking to anybody that I could, and I think I left that month more confused at the end than I was going in. And in fact, in the report that FEMA released in January, Um, FEMA noted that neither HHS nor FEMA understood the domestic supply chain at the beginning of this response. Fenton said FEMA's National Response Coordination Center, the overall coordinating mechanism, established a supply chain task force specifically to get a handle on the medical supply chain. And it took them some time to get a hold of and an understanding of that supply chain. It's very complex as far as You know, who are the big manufacturers? Where is the manufacturing happening at? Where are the resources needed to do the manufacturing? What is the capacity of that within the United States, with outside the United States? 
And so those were all things that took them time to kind of wrap their hands around. At the same time, funding is going out to state and local governments, and they're taking the necessary action to go procure the needed resources to be able to combat uh, COVID. So there, there is a little bit of complexity at the beginning to get unity of effort going, and it's something that we continue to work through. Senator Jean Shaheen of New Hampshire had the same concern. She asked Fenton what's being done to ensure domestic manufacturers who alter their production to make supplies like personal protective equipment don't take a hit, especially if the U.S. plans to acquire supplies from foreign sources. Do you think the Defense Production Act needs to be changed in any way to address that concern? Well, it's a, I think it's a good question. And uh, I would say that there it provides, it's one tool of many tools mm-hmm. to get at the solution. Other tools are, let's deal with the risk in front and mitigate the risk. We talked a little bit earlier about break-in right. mitigation and other things. And there's many other things we could do, but I think it's one tool. You know, I think we can continue to look at it, but I don't see FEMA having oversight over like Department of Energy on on energy. I just, it's just not our expertise. And yeah. so I think energy needs to do that. And then, and then be responsible for it, or HHS, and be responsible for it. For now, Fenton says FEMA has enough money in the Disaster Relief Fund to make it through the fiscal year. And he also said it would be able to do a 100% cost share for National Guard COVID assistance through September 30th. But ranking member Shelley Moore Capito of West Virginia said she didn't want this to be commonplace. And I'm sure all of us have been contacted as that 100% cost share looks like it's getting ready to be timed out. We're all getting calls from our National Guards to ask that, or from our governors really, to have that extended. I do think that, you know, there is a risk of this becoming the norm. And I think that there has to be state, local, and disaster relief assistance at the same time, certainly through 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 these um, uh, guard assistants. And they've been fantastic with us. Amelia Brust, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Check out Amelia's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward-looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over 2 million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is 
ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired others and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves, and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation, uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, My father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, He joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service which is unique in in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all. But is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. I've led this is my second uh, major organization that I've led And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime and uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. As prices keep creeping up, your entertainment budget doesn't have to take a hit. Live One Plus has all the music you love, ad-free for only $3.99 per month. Dive into Live One's massive library of songs, listen to curated playlists, or create your own. 
Check out exclusive artist-hosted stations and do it all for the best price in streaming. Lock in a Live One Plus membership for just $3.99 per month now, and you'll not only beat inflation, you'll get all your favorite music ad-free. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. 